Welcome to We Need to Talk About Tech, where we talk about the past, present, and future of technology. Hello, everyone in podcast land. Welcome to this week's episode. Today, we're talking about a Twitter update. We talk about the Tesla Semi event, as well as the Neuralink event. And we are talking about the headset wars coming for 2023. All right. Topic number one, a quick update on Twitter news. Now, on Monday of last week, Elon Musk said that Apple threatened to remove Twitter from the App Store, but wouldn't tell them exactly why they were being removed. He also said that Apple mostly stopped their Twitter ads. Now, in Q1 of 2022, Apple was the top advertiser for Twitter, spending about $48 million that quarter. So, a pretty substantial loss for the advertising business in Twitter. And he also tweeted the 1984 parody video that Fortnite made. Now, if you're longtime listeners of the podcast, you remember back in like the first year, I guess, right? There's that whole feud between Fortnite, Epic Games, and Apple, and they made this parody video of an old Apple commercial. And so he retweeted that saying like, yeah, Apple's app store is a monopoly and they're trying to control everything. They're trying to control free speech. Well, apparently also Google has threatened to remove Twitter from its app store too. Now in response to all of that, Elon said that he would make an alternative phone if Twitter was removed from both app stores, meaning, hey, we could, there's a possibility that he's working on a Twitter phone a Tesla phone, a Musk phone one, maybe something like that, right? This is all Monday. Well, apparently since then, Elon has visited the Apple headquarters. He met with Tim Cook. They had a lunch date. And according to Elon, Tim Cook assured him that Apple never considered removing Twitter from the App Store. And now Tim Cook follows Elon Musk on Twitter. So you know that they're actually friends and there's no war between Elon and Tim Cook at the moment which also means no Tesla, Twitter phone, no Musk phone one. But, I mean, he hasn't gone to Google HQ yet. So, hey, maybe they're still going to get banned from there. Maybe we still see a Twitter phone. But uh, my question to you is, what do you think of this whole roller coaster? I mean, usually we have at least a week to talk about something, but it seems like this this recent news, this possible war kind of, you know, it started and ended before we could even get to this week's podcast. But I guess, what are your thoughts on the whole handling of the situation from Elon? And what do you think of there possibly being an Elon Musk phone in the works? Uh, it was it was a weird one. Um, I only like heard about uh, this story in passing. I, I wasn't really, I didn't see any of the tweets or anything like that. But it always seems not real to me like like maybe this wasn't actually something that was happening in terms of uh the issue between twitter and apple and if there was an issue i could have imagined that maybe it was something that a lot of apps have issues with where it could have been um you know the cut that maybe apple wanted to take from twitter subscriptions and stuff like that twitter blue subscriptions and maybe you know uh musk who who maybe isn't used to giving uh the app store that big of a cut Maybe they wanted to try to bypass it in some ways. And we've seen a lot of companies that have tried to do that uh, end up getting their apps delisted uh, on the App Store because Apple has kind of prohibited uh, a lot of companies from from 
getting alternate ways of not using Apple Pay uh, unless they have a previous deal. Some companies like Netflix and stuff like that have that. So um, maybe it could have been an issue there. But uh, and then there's also the fact that there have been some Twitter like apps that have been delisted uh, because of their content. And there has been a little bit of reporting that the content on Twitter has gotten a little bit worse since uh, the takeover and since, you know, um, a lot of the band counts coming back. But uh, I, I don't know. I, it didn't really seem like much of a reality to me, uh, at least at the time. It didn't seem like there was any concrete information about that. And, uh, you know, that was just going back to Twitter's roots. Twitter has always been something like that. So and it's always been available on iPhone devices. So, yeah, I don't know. But the idea of a phone uh, being developed by uh, one of Elon Musk's companies, it sounds like a cool idea. Uh, you know, they could have 100% got past any issues with app stores, whether it was Android or Google. You know, Android is an open source operating system. They could use that the same way Huawei is. Uh, and, you know, if they didn't want to have the Play Store included, you know, they could just have either their own app store or preload the Twitter app on every device. Uh, and then there's also the fact that Twitter is a pretty lightweight application and program to begin with. They could use a web app, uh, kind of like what Game Pass does. Uh, on certain devices where, you know, you have an icon on your screen, but you're not actually going to a dedicated app. It just links you to either your Safari browser or, and stuff like that. So, yeah, it, it never really seemed like it would, would have been that big of an issue. But, you know, I, I could I could kind of see where uh, maybe, you know, just wanted to maybe do a preemptive strike to make sure that uh, Twitter maintains its, its availability on the App Store and, and maybe hopefully kind of drum up a little conversation between execs at Apple and execs at Twitter so that they can maybe have a favorable uh, monetization kind of strategy um, so that they're not losing 30%. But who knows? That's all stuff that happened behind closed doors. So we don't really know if that happened or not. And you brought up an interesting point there, you know, with maybe with this new Twitter blue subscription, you know, with the new verification of or paying for verification, maybe in setting that up, they tried to circumvent the whole Apple Pay system. And then maybe Apple was like, hey, you got to pay us 30%. Elon was trying to skirt that or trying to work around that. And maybe that's what flagged them in the App Store, right? Could maybe didn't have to do anything with, with free speech or with moderation like Elon said it did. Maybe there's some other products that Twitter's looking to roll out that we don't know about that same thing. Maybe they're trying to circumvent having to pay Apple, pay the Apple tax. And then, you know, Tim Cook, the godfather, brought Elon to his house, sat him down, you know, made him kiss the <laughs> ring. It's like, listen, you got to pay me my 30%. Otherwise, you know, bad news for you and your app. Because I mean, as much as they could get around it, you know, through a web app or something like that, not being on iPhones, especially in America, especially in North America, you know, around the rest of the world, it's not as big of a deal. Mm -hmm. But especially around North America and the United States, not having an iPhone app is a very big deal. Not having a Google app is also another big deal. And I don't know if they would, I don't know if even Elon building his own phone would be, I don't know, would be enough to to counteract that, not being on the two main phone platforms that people use in North America. Mm -hmm. And is he capable of building a company to do that? Yeah, definitely, right? Like his companies have built electric vehicles, they've built rocket ships, like they could build a phone, a working phone, 
But then it's, are you going to be able to get people to switch from their Android phones, to switch from their iPhones where they don't have iMessage, where they don't have FaceTime, where they don't have, you know, seamless integration with the entire Apple and Google ecosystems. Yeah. So I think this is, as you said, you know, a case of this is probably something that would normally be handled behind closed doors. You know, Elon Twitter has a problem with Apple or vice versa. And that's something where Elon would either reach out to Apple or Tim Cook. He would go to Apple headquarters. They would have a meeting. They would talk about it. And no one would ever know. Mm -hmm. Right. But I think the fact that the way Elon does business and especially, you know, the way Elon is choosing to handle Twitter, to run Twitter, whatever he's thinking about how he's going to run the company is coming out on Twitter. It's coming out on the platform. Yeah. Oftentimes, Twitter employees see stuff for the first time on Twitter itself, like when he tweets things out, right? So it's not even like there's, you know, a press briefing or a uh, like an internal memo that comes out to employees. So they at least know where the company's heading. When Elon tweets to the rest of the world, he tweets to his employees and then everyone kind of has to react to that. Yeah. So I think this is something that normally would have been handled behind closed doors. You know, he's upset on Monday, they meet on Wednesday and no one knows about it, but just because Elon being who he is, he's upset about something, he tweets it out and then, you know, we get the backlash from that. Yeah. So I think it's an interesting news story. And I think just, like I said, Elon being Elon, we're going to get a lot more of these where it's, Something that's probably should be a phone call, but he's going to tweet it out first. And then it's just going to get settled within a couple of days, but it's going to make the news because he's choosing to tweet it out. He's choosing to make this disagreement between companies public. And maybe it's a smart move on his part in terms of if he gets to tweet out this context or this issue without context to his, his followers, maybe that can kind of tip the scales in terms of getting people involved um, maybe, you know, tweeting at Apple or, or saying, Hey, Apple, you shouldn't be allowed to do this preemptively so that maybe they don't get to, cause that's the thing I may, there's not a lot of CEOs out there who garner as much, uh, fanfare as Elon Musk. So, you know, maybe it makes sense to put that to use in the way that you run your company, but I don't know. It's just, it's just odd. I, I, it's just something we don't see very often. He's pretty much the only one who does that. Right. Yeah, Definitely. Definitely odd, but I definitely think we'll see more of it. <laughs> uh, so our second topic for the podcast uh, is the Tesla event that just happened to unveil and deliver the very first uh, editions of their semi-truck. Uh, so this truck is designed for transport. They, I believe, are going to start with releasing two models. Uh one that can go 300 miles for $150,000. And then their flagship version, which can go up to 500 miles at $180,000. And the interesting thing about this is that these mile uh, ranges are estimated with a load. So with the vehicle towing or carrying uh, uh, merchandise. And that's really interesting because just uh, on the last week's podcast, we talked about how impressive the Lucid uh, vehicle was with its over 400 mile range uh, and you know these trucks which you know are, are going to be carrying very very heavy stuff can can beat that potentially yes it's a lot more expensive $180,000 although 
when you compare it to the highest end lucids not that big of a difference which is kind of funny when you think about but yeah it's a it's an expensive truck but it's designed obviously for uh commercial use uh and their design of the truck is actually quite interesting so it's a day cab which essentially means that you know some semi trucks they will have sleeping quarters a day cab is just you know there's no sleeping quarters there's just a an area for you to hang your jacket behind the seat and stuff like that but they designed it to be very spacious and very roomy so there is like a little bit of a small little aisle behind the seat where you can you know put your your gear hang your jacket and stuff like that and you can stand up fully inside the vehicle uh, so they mentioned that this is great for you know if you're driving and it's cold outside you can stand up and put on your jacket before leaving the truck so you don't have to worry about getting out the truck being cold and then having to put on your jacket just some some nice usability uh things like that but then there's also how the motors are configured in the truck and the truck is using a tri-motor system so three motors and uh it's using very similar motors to the the model s plaid uh and i guess the model x plaid as well and what they're doing is they're using two very powerful motors and these motors are being used for acceleration and you know getting that huge torque uh, when you put your foot down so that you can pass vehicles uh, on the highway and you know you can get up to speed very quickly uh, hopefully much quicker than a diesel powered truck would typically uh, would typically do but then to make sure that this this vehicle is efficient and can hit the up to 500 mile range that they want to hit there is a third motor that is essentially their efficiency motor and this motor is much more efficient than those other two powerful motors and it's always engaged it's always running but what will happen is, let's say, for example, you're on the highway cruising, it will disengage and turn off those those two powerful motors and just use that one efficient motor to continue, continue moving at highway speeds so that, uh, you know, you're not using as much energy. And I think that's kind of an interesting design. I, I would kind of like to see this hopefully uh, take place in uh, more consumer uh, focused vehicles as well, because I think that's a really great idea. I think we talked about in the past that uh, Mercedes uh, has a C-Class where it's a, a, a plug-in hybrid and I think they have this really efficient electric motor that will just coast on the highway for you um, in a very efficient manner and they call it like free coasting I think is, is how they coin it and I don't know if that's exactly what's going on there as well or if that's just a marketing term that they used but that idea of using very efficient electric motors to do the the very non-intensive driving that you would need to when you're just cruising along the highway sounds like a really good idea um and you know it just goes back into the fact that we don't know how many of these vehicles are going to be on the road anytime soon we don't know how many have been delivered just yet but the idea that there are these electric semi trucks uh potentially going to companies like pepsi in the very near future is actually kind of exciting and kind of cool now how these things operate in the real world if tr uh, people who normally use diesel trucks respond to the tesla semi um in a positive way remains to be seen I, I imagine that it would be quite positive because they mentioned that this this vehicle is very easy to drive you don't need to worry about hitting your gears properly it's an automatic clutch you don't have to worry about engaging a clutch it does all of this uh, automatically and drives very similar to any standard vehicle so yeah, hopefully this is something that really changes the truck, semi-truck market um, to kind of make things a little bit more green. They mentioned that they've targeted semi-trucks in the first place because despite the fact that semi-trucks are 
very rare and not a lot of them are on the road, they contribute to a lot of the pollution um, because they're always on the road and they're always going long distances. I don't know if this particular vehicle is really going to combat that all, all that much. Like I mentioned, it is a day cab, which means that it's not going to be doing long hauls in terms of when, uh, you know, someone needs to sleep in their vehicle and stuff like that. Plus a maximum of 500 mile range and it's a huge battery. Um, so it's going to take a long time to charge. So yeah, this isn't going to change the the dynamics of, of you know, polluting semi-trucks overnight, but still a pretty cool idea overall. What do you think about the Tesla Semi? You know, it's, it was announced about five years ago, maybe even more than five years ago. We're finally starting to see them roll out. Uh, how do you feel about them overall? And do you think that, you know, Tesla can actually make this a, a successful product? I feel pretty positive on them, actually. I think when it first... When they were first announced or revealed, I was kind of like, why bother? Yeah. You have so many other things you've promised to your customers that, you know, you still haven't delivered on yet at the time of announcing this. And now, you know, they've put out this semi truck before the Roadster, before the Cybertruck. But after, I guess, after seeing this event and seeing the presentation, it makes a lot of sense to me or it makes more sense to me. Mm-hmm. As you mentioned, it's, you know, they're 1% of vehicles in America. Semi-trucks are 1% of vehicles in America. They're nearly 20% of vehicle emissions, nearly 30% of vehicle particulates, you know, emitted into the atmosphere. So they, in terms of pollution, they are a high percentage compared to how many vehicles there actually are. These day cabs, these day trucks aren't going to completely solve that, but I think it's going to go a long way. Mm -hmm. And assuming that eventually maybe they do start making night cabins. But the same way that Tesla kind of revolutionized what we thought of electric vehicles, I think these semi-trucks have the potential to do this. Mm-hmm. As much as we, you know, or at least as much as I talk about Tesla's build quality and them building stuff that's not finished yet and them delaying when they're supposed to release vehicles, as much as I harp on them for that, you can't deny that they have changed what electric vehicles are in our minds. Before Tesla, they weren't seen as cool, they weren't seen as fast, they weren't seen as safe, you know, they weren't, electric vehicles weren't seen as exciting cars. Yeah. Right? Electric vehicles were smart cars and Priuses and ugly vehicles that no one wanted to drive because they didn't look cool and they weren't fun to drive. But since the, since Teslas have come out, we completely changed how we think of electric vehicles. And that's also the success of Tesla has led to companies like Porsche, like Ferrari, like Mercedes, like Ford and their Mustang. They've led to a ton of vehicles coming out that probably never would have come out unless Tesla first came out and changed the idea of electric vehicles in our minds. Yeah. Right. And as you mentioned, this car, according to them, is very easy to drive. It's a fully automatic transition, so no missing gears when you upshift or downshift, no worrying about perfect timing when your truck is rolling down a hill, and if you miss your shift and you have a runaway truck on your hands, there's none of that, right? It's essentially just one pedal driving just like their cars, which means it's a lot safer for people to drive, and it's a lot easier for people to drive. So if you look at the fact that, okay, hey, this theoretically should greatly reduce transmissions from semi-trucks and more people will be able to drive semi-trucks and semi-trucks will be safer to drive. I think, 
I think this has huge potential. One, if you look at just how many vehicles they could possibly put out, if you look at the fact that, hey, you know, they said they're going to start or they said they've started working with PepsiCo already. If you look at all the companies that could start working with them, that's a huge difference in terms of pollution and the economy. But then also, if they're successful at all, which I'm sure they will be, how many other companies are going to follow suit? Yeah. Right? Yeah, Tesla was the first electric vehicle, but now there's a lot more electric vehicles out there. And as we said in our last podcast, they're not even they're not even seen as the best electric vehicle anymore because they've created so much competition around them. Mm-hmm. So now Tesla is the first one, at least the first one that I know of. I think that the first one that the majority of people know of, the first one to make an electric semi truck. They're going to make headlines. They're going to do well. And then other companies are going to say, hey, we could make an electric semi-truck. We could reduce pollution. We could make it easier to drive. We could build bigger cabins and safer cabins and all of that stuff. So I think once Tesla is successful, and I I think they will be successful with the semi-trucks. I hope they will be successful with the semi-trucks. And then I think we're going to see more competition spread up around them. But I think it's I think it's great. We'll just see if they can deliver on the promises that they've made. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think you're 100% right there. And it, it kind of goes back to, you know, not just with the semi trucks, but the electrification of, of delivery vehicles in general. We're seeing Rivian and Amazon partner up to make those mm-hmm. small little delivery vans into electric vehicles. Um, and that's going to do a lot to combat pollution as well. Um, and yeah, there has been some companies that have made uh, electric cars uh, or electric semi trucks. I believe Volvo. Volvo has one, but the interesting thing is, I think that one has like 200 miles of range, or just over 200 miles of range, which is even less than the lower end version of this Tesla Tesla semi truck. And one of the reasons for that is its aerodynamic kind of design, which most trucks don't have. Um, so maybe that could be like the the precursor to say, hey, Tesla did the work to make the most efficient design or shape for these trucks to make them the most fuel efficient. Let's copy them and, and kind of do the same thing. But um, there there is some concerns, though. Like I I would be the first to say I know nothing about driving semi-trucks. I've never driven one. I never will drive one. But there is one thing about manual vehicles, and it gives you a certain level of control. And it makes me wonder, when you're driving a vehicle that's carrying tons and tons and tons of cargo, maybe that control, even if it is a little bit more difficult, might be a benefit in terms of controlling that cargo behind you and, you know, making sure that it's doing what you expect it to do and what you want to do. I I, I don't know if that's the case, but I could imagine that maybe some drivers who have gotten used to be able to say, I can control my cargo and my truck with my gears. um, Maybe that could be a bit of a transition or maybe even not as good as saying, I'm going to control it with regenerative braking or, you know, disengaging motors and an automatic clutch and stuff like that. So, I mean, those things remain to be seen. We don't know if it's going to be like uh, better across the board, but the fact that they're actually doing something about it and actually trying to put a product on the market that could potentially be better uh, in every way is, is still commendable and really cool to see. Yeah, definitely cool to see. And uh, another one of Elon Musk's companies also had an event, uh, the Neuralink company had an event to showcase an update to their brain interface device. 
so this device is designed to be surgically implanted into the brain with these small like wire-like fibers uh, and it's supposed to allow the brain to communicate with either you know electronics or parts of the body that it previously couldn't uh, so what they want to do is they want to have this this kind of brain interface device to give people who maybe have lost or never had the the uh, vision to regain their vision or issue with their spine in terms of, of severing communication between parts of their limbs to potentially regain that through this implant. Uh, and it's, it's kind of interesting. They've shown, you know, how they expect this to work over time. They have acknowledged that the progress of the Neuralink device is going particularly slow. But uh, one thing they did mention is that they see this device scaling uh, relatively quickly because what they're trying to do is they're trying to develop the device to work well in humans, but also develop the device to where it's scalable so that they can sell it at the same time. So as opposed to just making a proof of concept that works and then figuring out how to make it uh, a product, they're trying to do both of those steps at the same time. So they, they think that once they get this dialed in, they'll be able to get to market very quickly. Uh, and right now, uh, it's, it's kind of like a situation where they mention maybe they want the device to communicate with your phone. Maybe there's going to be certain other implants that it can communicate with down the line. We don't really know, but they did show a pretty cool demo of a monkey who was using the Neuralink implant to control a virtual keyboard, uh, with his mind. And essentially what was happening is there would be uh, little highlights on the keyboard and it was designed to be like a game. Uh, where, you know, the better uh, the monkey did, he would get a reward. And uh, the virtual keyboard, similar to what you would might have on your cell phone, there would be a key that would highlight, and the monkey would use his brain to move the cursor to the highlighted key and press it, and would type out a sentence. Obviously, uh, the monkey didn't know what it was typing out. It was just trying to hit the highlighted text. But it was a proof of concept to show, hey, he could control this entire keyboard with just his brain. Um, and it was kind of a, a cool demo to see of like, okay, this it's very easy to vision how this could be implemented in the future, either in kind of rudimentary settings where, you know, maybe someone who, who can't move someone like in the situation of Stephen Hawking, potentially, you know, Stephen Hawking was, was talking, he was controlling uh, his, his voice with slight movements of his face. But imagine, you know, maybe an easier method of controlling something with your brain to communicate in that kind of way. So, yeah, I don't know. It's it's moving quite slowly, but it is still quite cool tech. Uh, and this may be wishful thinking, but they want to start human trials within the next six months. I believe that's something we've heard in the past before that hasn't happened. But still, you know, they're trying to be quite ambitious and, and kind of move this this product along. Um I don't know. It still seems like it's a bit in a proof of concept kind of mode right now. Uh, and there are still safety um, issues like this is not FDA approved. You know, the surgery is, it has to be handled by a robot because it's kind of very precise. It's not really practical to be done by people. Um, the price of what this could cost in the future is, is still, you know, who knows? So, yeah, this is still very early days. But, you know, we got to get an update on it. Um and it's kind of cool to see kind of like the semi-truck of what potentially these companies could be looking forward to in the future. Uh, so I don't know. Did you get to see anything from the Neuralink press conference, either this one or in the past? Do you think this is something that can actually be accomplished 
at scale? Do you think maybe it's a little bit too complicated or uh, maybe this is just the future, like a cyberpunk future of everyone having an implant in their brain? Uh, I didn't see the event, but I did read stories from it. I did read uh, some news clippings from it. I mean, starting human trials in six months, that's really up to the FDA if they're willing to approve that, right? Just because they begin human trials doesn't mean that they'll be successful. Mm -hmm. So I could see them started human trials. I've heard that Elon Musk or that negotiations or talks between you know, Neuralink and F the FDA has gone well. I just, you know, as we talked about in the previous segment, I just hope that it's not something where there's either some ruling that Elon doesn't agree with mm. or something, some sort of communication that happens. And then Elon decides to tweet about it. He says, you know, hey, FDA is being stupid. They don't want this to happen. They don't want to, you know, they don't want us to lead the future of technology. And then he goes and pisses off the FDA and then Neuralink suffers because of it. Mm -hmm. I, yeah, I hope that it's, uh, I hope that he handles this very diplomatically or maybe he just has, he has his hands off of this and he doesn't do the typical Elon making headlines thing yeah. because, you know, for a social media company, yeah, that can work because, you know, you're creating content, you're generating buzz around it, even for, you know, a, a car company that works because you, you're generating press and you're generating buzz and, you know, you're giving presentations on stage. Yeah, that can work for a medical company that is trying to implant things in people's brains and needs government approval from the FDA. You can't bully a company. You can't bully the FDA into that. You can't use the, you can't use a Twitter poll to say, oh, should the FDA let us implant Neuralink into humans for human trials? Yeah. No, it doesn't work like that. So, you know, for Elon's sake and for Neuralink's sake, I hope there's zero controversy around this. And it would be interesting to see what human trials look like after six months. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, I'm not a doctor either. I don't do any, uh, you know, implanting or brain surgery. So I don't know how feasible this is in human brains. But I'm, I'm definitely interested to see what this could lead to. I'm definitely interested to see what this could cause. Uh, you know, as you mentioned, the first the first implementation will be some sort of communication, sort of like, you know, the monkey typing on the keyboard. If they could get to the point where humans are typing on a digital keyboard using their brain, I think that'd be a huge breakthrough. Yeah. And then eventually they want to ha have implants into the spinal cord. Like you said, if people have, you know, a severed spinal cord and there's some sort of paralysis due to it, possibly having them regain the function of different parts of their body because of their spinal or due to their spinal cord injuries for people who either never had vision or who have some sort of injury to their optical nerves, possibly restoring vision or possibly giving them vision for the first time. Like those would be huge breakthroughs. So if there's a possibility that, you know, six months human trials could lead to that, I definitely want to see that happen. Yeah. Right. Whether it can happen I'm a little bit skeptical, but I mean, I also never thought that electric cars would be cool too. So, you know, there's anything is possible really. In terms of the whole cyberpunk 2077-ness of it, I definitely see the similarities. I definitely see the, the parallels to it. I personally would, I don't think I'll ever get an, input, an implant. If it gets to the point where, okay, yes, human trial has gone successfully, he's restored vision, he's restored limb function, and now it's, you know, hey, you can get an implant and you can learn 
German in an, a day with this implant, or not even a day. You get this implant and you speak German, or you get this implant and you have forty twenty vision, or whatever whatever else he comes up with. I don't see myself doing that. Mm-hmm. Do you see yourself? getting a Neuralink implant so you can turn into someone from Cyberpunk 2077. You learn Kung Fu with this new implant. You get the <laughs> the Musk Link 2.0 and, I don't know, you can do backflips. Well, I mean, we have some future topics coming up, but one thing that, that always makes me think of it, specifically in the kind of Cyberpunk future thing, would be having things plugged directly into your brain, like a VR or an AR experience so that you don't have to use your eyes. Um, it's kind of just there. You don't have to worry about a headset. Um, kind of like brain dances and stuff like that, that we've seen in, in cyberpunk. But I do think that the focus of this, like you mentioned, this is a medical device. It's made to help people. And I do think like, okay, that's a really noble focus. And not only is that really helpful to people who maybe can't see and maybe get to see for the first time, which is amazing, or, or people being able to move limbs that they, they could move because of a spinal injury, um, but it can also be a huge thing for uh, quality of life uh, when you're older, right? Being able to augment uh, poor vision or being able to stabilize kind of difficult movements as you get older. Uh, yeah, I could definitely see uh, myself having something like this, maybe, you know, if I needed it because of health reasons or even old age reasons, definitely. But I do agree with you. I think for the everyday person, Neuralink really isn't designed for, for you. It, it's not designed for, um, it's not designed to augment, uh, augment you in the cyberpunk way. It's designed to make quality of life better. And, uh, yeah, I, I hopefully it can do it and, and succeed at that. But yeah, I don't think this is, this product is going in that direction in any way. And I think that's a good thing. I think focusing on, on the medical device aspect of it is, is smart. If it went, let's say, you know, theoretically speaking, if it went the cyberpunk way, would you get an implant? Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> I feel like that would be a very diff- different world where maybe you might need it just to keep up. Um, it's kind of like, you know, many times I've thought about going from a smartphone to a dumb phone, but it's like, well, it would be so hard to do daily activities without a smartphone. Like, you kind of need it. And I could imagine it, that would be like that tenfold if, you know, anybody could speak any language um, in an instant. But if you don't have it, you're stuck not being able to understand anybody. Uh, I, I could see, like, maybe, yeah, something like that could become a necessity. How about you? If it became a necessity, do you see yourself, you know, maybe getting a cabin in the woods somewhere or do you just get the implant? Yeah, if that happens, I'm off the grid. <laughs> if everyone gets implants, yeah. Personally, this is uh, this is definitely a conspiracy theory that I've started. <laughs> the whole Neuralink thing, I don't trust because mm. I think it's gonna lead to the robot machine AI takeover. That's what I think. In my deep down watching too many sci-fi movies (laughs) as a kid watching terminator too many times as soon as we all get Neuralink, ai robots are going to take over and they're going to take over our brains and our bodies and it's going to be the end for human civilization probably not the case but i mean i mean that's an interesting take i mean i've always been the opposite i think uh 
AI and androids and stuff like that. That's the future. That's the next evolution of human beings, cyborgs, so to speak. Um, but yeah, I th- I think that's pretty funny nonetheless. <laughs> no, we're all gonna get put into the matrix, and they're gonna use our bodies for batteries, <laughs> like the sunken place. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Our final topic of the day, the headset wars are coming for 2023. Now, recently, Mark Gurman from Bloomberg released a newsletter saying that Apple is ramping up production for their headset, which will be coming out as early as next year, 2023. Mark Gurman says that they've also changed the name of their operating system. Now, previously, it was speculated to be called Reality OS. It seems they've changed the name to XROS, standing for Extended Reality OS, meaning it's not just going to be a virtual reality headset. There is going to be quite a bit of augmented reality to it. Also, um, like the MetaQuest Pro, you know, it has cameras on the outside. It has an augmented reality function. They showed virtual desktop screens being projected into your augmented reality i could see apple doing the exact same thing you know the same sort of functionality with mac os it's supposed to be similar to a hololens um and apparently apple is planning their own 3d world too similar to horizon worlds hopefully it looks better than horizon (laughs) worlds i mean it's apple so i'm sure it will and uh apparently there will be a vr version of facetime also now my question to you you know i know you aren't planning to get into vr at all you're not the biggest fan of vr headsets at all right now but if you had to speculate what do you think the pricing for the apple headset will be when it comes out also what do you think are some potential killer features that apple might have you know they always they come up with something whether it's iMessage, whether it's facetime they come up with something that it's only on iphone and you you just gotta get this thing what do you think pricing might be like? What do you think features might be like that set it apart from the competition? Um, for pricing, I'll just throw out a guess. Uh, I'll guess somewhere like around $19.99, $2,000. Um, Ooh, cheap. It seems like if Apple, and I, I wouldn't even be surprised if it's more expensive um, than that. I, I, I'm just using that as maybe like the safe spot. I wouldn't be surprised if it was maybe $29.99 or even $24.99. Um, because I do think that this is going to be uh, a flagship device for Apple, kind of starting a new pillar that isn't necessarily ready yet. And I don't think they want it to be priced mainstream because if they mm-hmm. do price it mainstream and it's not ready, that could really hurt the brand. Uh, whereas if they price it really high and you know only the, the hardest of hardcore people are going to uh, get this, the expectations are different. I think there would be less of a dis, uh, of disappointment when maybe it's not the greatest device of all time. Kind of similar to how the original iPad was. Um, the original iPad was really cool, but also not that useful. Um, it didn't have the App Store yet, or if it did, I remember. Yes, it did have the App Store, but the App Store was very limited. Um, and it was just a big iPhone. It couldn't really do much. But, you know... Then we got cheaper versions, then we got the mini, then we got this whole ecosystem now, and the iPad is one of the coolest devices that Apple makes. Uh, so yeah, I, I definitely think it's going to be a long tail. In terms of features, I, it's so hard. I can't really think of anything. I think it's mainly because, one, I've never tried AR or VR, 
Two, I'm not really all that excited about AR or VR. So I don't really know what can kind of capture people's imagination in terms of what iMessage did or what FaceTime did. Or even something like the Dynamic Island, I think it's called. Yeah, Dynamic Island (laughs) um, uh, started to do with people with these new phones. Even if that, the like I, like I mentioned, I, I thought that was a bit of a gimmick and not really as cool as Apple made it seem, but it at least seemed cool. I don't know how you make VR seem cool. Uh, mm. I, it, it, there hasn't been anything really to date that has done that other than gaming. And Apple has been pretty clear that they don't really take gaming all that seriously. Um, hopefully that maybe that's something that changes with this AR headset. For me personally, if I were Apple, I wouldn't put a product out like this until I know I can make something that looks like everyday glasses. Uh, If it looks bulky, if it looks like something that you can only use in your home, it's just not cool. Um, But if they do, if they're the first company to say, hey, we made an augmented reality pair of glasses that you can either put prescription lenses in and just use as regular glasses, or you can get a heads up display and get all this immersive stuff, um, you know, fitness features that you would get on your Apple watch um, iMessage that you would get on your phone, like all of this connected stuff just on your face. To me, that would be the coolest device, but it doesn't sound like that's what this is. Uh, and I'll just say quickly, go back to reality OS, XROS, dumb name. That's, that's, that's clumsy. A reality OS sounds way better. Um, but who knows? I, it just doesn't sound very Apple to me, XROS. Um, but I don't know. How about you? What, what do you think? I, I know you've been more interested in VR with the likes of, of PlayStation VR. What do you think Apple can really do here to shake up the the kind of ecosystem of VR, maybe push it forward to the mainstream, which it's kind of been struggling to hit? I think they really just have to put something out mm. and it will be mainstream. That's a really good point. <laughs> to be honest, that's, yeah, I think that's all they need to do. Yeah. No matter what the price is, I mean, $2,000 seems high, but we're also talking about Apple. So it's definitely not outside the realm of possibility. Mm-hmm. Just like the AirPods Max were overpriced and big and, you know, they didn't even have a proper carrying case. And we're like, who's going to be walking around wearing that? There are a lot of people walking around wearing AirPods Maxes. There are a lot of people playing basketball mm-hmm. in them, wearing them to the gym, going for runs with them. So if Apple puts out a headset, even as overpriced as it is, it will become mainstream. Yeah, yeah. In terms of looking like a pair of glasses, I don't think they need to do that. Mm. I, To be honest, I think they just need to make them even look like... They just need to even make them look like ski goggles. Mm. If they look like ski goggles, because, I mean, there are some people that wear ski goggles around as fashion now, too. <laughs> if they make them look like ski goggles and they are Apple and they're clearly Apple, I think those will be mainstream. Mm. I could I could picture them now. You know, uh, let's say, what, what color do they call, use? Uh, space gray. Mm. The same color as those, as the AirPod Maxes. But instead, it's a ski goggle on your face and you're walking around. And like you said, you have your iMessage. You have your face. You have whatever built into it. I could definitely see that becoming the next mainstream apple product yeah it doesn't even have to be fully funk like it does it could essentially just be like the ipad was it could just be your iphone except now in glasses instead of in on your actual phone 
I could see it not even being a standalone device at launch. It could just be an extension of your iPhone, mm-hmm. right? Sort of like the Apple Watch is an extension of your iPhone too, right? You get text messages, you get calls on your Apple Watch. But when it first came out, it was, well, you had to have your Apple Watch or you had to have your Apple Watch next to your iPhone. And then eventually you could get a cellular plan for your Apple Watch too. I could see you release the Apple headset, whatever you, you call it, the whatever, the eyeglasses, and it's paired to your phone, it's tethered to your phone, but you get all your notifications right in front of you without having to take your phone out of your pocket. And then three years down the line, 7G capabilities now on your Apple glasses. Mm-hmm. You know, get a SIM card for your Apple glasses, get a plan for your Apple glasses, 30 gigabyte data on your Apple glasses. I could see that coming down the line. But I really think whatever they put out, people are going to eat up and people are going to buy. And $2,000 doesn't sound crazy when you talk about Apple coming out with the headset. Yeah. Because the MetaQuest Pro is $1,500. And that's crazy. But it's going to be more, I think it's going to be more premium or it's, it's going to seem more premium, right? Because Apple can design things that look cool. I think the MetaQuest Pro looks cool. But I think Apple will do a much better job at designing something that looks cooler, that looks more premium. And because it's Apple, people are going to want it. And it's not going to matter what the cost is. Now, as you said, they've said that they don't want to make this about gaming. And I think that gaming is the most clear-cut use case. And it's the easiest way to make VR popular. So I don't know how successful it's going to be at launch in terms of adoption in terms of mass adoption if it's going to be crazy expensive like we know it's going to be and if they don't have a clear cut case of this is for gaming because let's say if it is just an extension of your iphone i'm not sure what the battery life is going to be right we know the ps no we know the MetaQuest pro has a problem with battery life of only an hour and a half so how willing are people going to be to walk around with this out in public if it only lasts two hours at max, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Maybe they're timing their charges of, oh, I got to go to the grocery store. Let's make sure my headset's charged. Okay, put the headset on. I'm going to the grocery store. Uh, I got to get back in two hours or else it's going to die and I'm not going to look as cool. Like, I'm not sure what use case they will come up with if it isn't for gaming and if it's just as an extension of an iPhone, let's say, then this is really just to look cool. So... I'm interested to see what the pricing is. Features-wise, I, I think it's just going to be an extension of your phone. But if there's one thing that I'd be really interested to see, it would be a VR version of FaceTime. If I'm in my apartment, if I'm in my house, and whoever I'm having a FaceTime call with, if there is an avatar of them inside of my house, mm-hmm. I think that'd be pretty damn cool. Yeah. I think that would be very cool how well they'll be able to pull that off if they'll be able to pull that off who knows but i think that would be a huge selling feature even if it's just hey you can only use this inside of your house i think that would still be an amazing feature that people would buy the product for yeah yeah i've seen so many people talk about using vr to like go to a movie theater in vr with a bunch of people um and especially during the pandemic being able to gather in a, in a place like that, it, it you kind of lose, at least from what they describe, you kind of lose the fact that you're in VR and you kind of just feel like you're there with other people. So if Apple could do that, maybe use some of the tech that they used from um, the using the iPhone as a, as a top down view of your 
of your desk when it's mounted to your to your laptop it almost seems like magical quote unquote apple loves to use that word of how a camera that's facing forward can somehow record downward and maybe they can use similar tech like that and lidar and stuff like that to map uh a like an avatar and stuff like that for people so that they can gather in places like that and actually be themselves could be really, really cool. One thing I find really funny, and I'm going to call this, this device, the AR pods, um, just because <laughs> I don't know, it sounds, sounds like something Apple would call it. So I could just imagine people walking around with these AR pods that look like goggles, looking like an anime character walking down the street, I think is absolutely hilarious. Um, but yeah, you're 100% right. Apple could, 100% just release something and all of a sudden the device is mainstream because people will gravitate to it just because Apple made it. Um, but everything that you mentioned about battery life and maybe being tethered to your home and stuff like that, it just makes me think that this stuff just isn't ready. And the one thing I will give Apple a lot of credit for is they usually launch something when it's close to being ready. Um, and unless they have some some magical tech once again, magical, that they only can do and they only know about. I just don't see an AR or VR product being compelling uh, anytime soon. Um, but who knows? Maybe if they do release this uh, next year, they can really surprise the world by showing us something that we didn't even know was possible. Mm-hmm. Now, we say, or I said headset wars because the MetaQuest Pro just came out. PlayStation VR 2 is coming out in February. The MetaQuest 3 is supposed to come out. And then this Apple headset is supposed to come out. The AR pods are supposed to come out, right? There's a lot of competition in just one year. And as we've said before, Apple are trendsetters. Just like Tesla was trendsetting when it came to EVs, Apple are trendsetters when it comes to, you know, either smartphones, when it comes to listening devices with the AirPods, right? They were the first mainstream earbud i can't even think of what to call it because i just want to call it an airpod right yeah they were the first ones to do that design or that mainstream design and everyone's copying them since then and now there's other companies who are you know iterating and making other forms of earbuds but they were the first mainstream company to do it they were the first one or the first mainstream company to remove the headphone jack and everyone made fun of them then everyone copied them yeah they were the first mainstream company to remove the charging brick from phones Everyone made fun of them, and now everyone copied them. So they are going to be one. I mean, like I said, Meta has their whole thing. The PSVR 2 is coming out. They will get into this headset space, AR, VR headset space, and then everyone is going to start making them too, Mm -hmm. even more than we have now, right? From the likes of Samsung to Huawei to... And maybe even Nokia, Motorola, as soon as Apple gets into the space and they get people interested into the space, so many companies are going to come out of the woodworks that have been either working on it before this or are going to start working on it because they see whatever Apple does is going to be successful. So I think next year is going to be very interesting to see when we look at the PSVR 2 when that comes out, the MetaQuest 3 and this Apple device, it's going to be interesting to see which of those is most successful because the PlayStation VR 2 is focused on gaming. It's established. The MetaQuest 3, 
I mean, there is quite a bit of gaming on that, so it'll be interesting to see how that does compared to the MetaQuest Pro. And then whenever Apple comes out with their device, it's going to be interesting to see what use case they, you know, they dictate this device to be for, to see how successful that is, and see out of those three, okay, which is the most successful. And then when other competitors start popping up, which avenue do they tend to go to, or do they want to go to, right? Like, not let's not forget that Microsoft has the Hololens. Do we then see an Xbox VR system? But yeah, I'm excited to see what the what 2023 has in store for us when it comes to AR and VR. Yeah. And I think it's going to be just the start of of you know headsets in general becoming more mainstream. Yeah. Is any closing statements for today? I uh, know I just wanted to to mention the one thing and I, we've t- talked about it a little bit off the podcast, but you know, with 2023 potentially being the year of AR and VR and, you know, metaverses and stuff like that. I've mentioned like in Fortnite, there's been skins here and there that are really kind of hinting that potentially there is going to be a metaverse in, in Fortnite. Um, it seems like that's something that they're they're really kind of interested in or at least, at least you know, taking shots at um, in terms of their in-game kind of uh, narrative. Do you think potentially we could see a Fortnite-based metaverse launching with something like the PlayStation VR or the MetaQuest 3 next year? I could definitely see that. I Yeah, I think that would be huge also. You know, if you look at all of the IP that Fortnite has in its catalog, mm. I think that would be huge. And I could definitely see that launching with the PSVR too. Meta, if, they, if MetaQuest 3 could do that, I think that would be pretty awesome for them too. But I see that more likely happening with the PSVR too. Yeah. Well, uh, this Thursday, upcoming Thursday is the game awards. Uh, Epic games has announced that they, they're going to have an announcement. Who knows? Maybe it'll be that. Maybe it'll be something else, but Ooh. who knows? Maybe tune That'd in. Be pretty exciting. Cool. Yeah. Just take it easy. Everyone in podcast land. Catch you in the next episode.